Welcome to Understanding the Law, Week in Review. The show is hosted by Peter Lamont and Bob Hughes and is a service of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont and Associates. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law, Week in Review, is a weekly radio broadcast discussing recent legal and business news and topics. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. And now, your hosts, Peter Lamont and Bob Hughes. Well, good Monday morning. It's April 20th. Bob, can you believe it's April 20th already? I am extremely happy it's April 20th. Actually, winter where I live takes so long, it's nice to see the sun. I know, I know. It's, well, it's been such a bad winter. It was a bad winter here on the East Coast, and okay. so I'm happy to see it, too. So listen to <laughs> Yeah, cut the grass so bad. <laughs> today we're trying something new because everybody loves new things. So we're going to be streaming live on Meerkat, which is cool. So hello out there to everybody on Meerkat. Do you know what Meerkat is, Bob? I I was about to start typing it in, and I didn't know how to spell it. I'm assuming, please spell it for myself and for the listeners. It's M-E-E-R-K or C-A-T. I, it's one of those. <laughs> I give a K. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. I just don't know how to spell it. But um, it's it's pretty cool, and we're going to try it out and see how it works. Um, it actually streams live video through Twitter. So all the Twitter followers that we have out there can actually click on the link, and then it streams live. So we're going to try that out today in addition to being live on uh, YouTube Live and then live on Blog Talk Radio. So we're all over the place. And then if you miss it, you can either watch it on YouTube or – you can download it from iTunes. So it's just, we're all there over. There you go, yeah. Mere, Meerkat with a K, app.co. Thank you. Thank you. There I you cannot, go. I, I, didn't, I had no idea. <laughs> it's pretty new and uh, figured we'd give it a try because, um, you know, it's always fun to jump on new things and, and to give it a try. So we'll see how it goes. Um, before we get going into today's stories and, and business news, I just want to thank our sponsor. And today's show is sponsored by iScribe.com, and they are an audio transcription service. And I want to just talk for a second about iScribe because, Bob, you know, when um, you have a business, you're a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, even other professions like radio host or um, screenwriter or you name it, you could use a transcription service. And I want to just talk for a second about some of the problems that iScribe has fixed with the online transcription market. Um, when I first started, Bob, I was at this big firm on Wall Street, and they had an entire department of people dedicated to just typing what lawyers dictated. You know, and, and back then it was audio cassettes, and you had to sure. pay all these people. You know, and they were getting paid a decent amount per hour to do all this work. And in today's world, I think that you know we're fighting so much for time because there's never enough time in the day. Small business and mid-sized and even large companies, they either can't afford or don't want to spend a salary on somebody to just type dictation. So 
you know, I think that the solution has been typically you go to software or recently you go to online transcription. But the problem has been that the software is not reliable. It crashes. No, it freezes. You know, I've, I get so frustrated with it. And then online services has typically been poor because they have people that weren't native English speakers. And so, you know, you dictate something, and there might be some inflection or some grammatical issue in your dictation, and you send it, which is always hard to send, and then they don't get it. And then when you get it back, there's all sorts of errors. So I, don't, I haven't really found a service that's been good until now, and that's what I want to talk about. iScribe has come in, and they have a completely unique and different service. And, and what's so unique about it is this. First of all, super easy to upload your file. However you dictate it, whatever program software you use, they will accept that file format and be able to convert it. The other thing that's mm -hmm. great is it's 99% accurate, which is really, really hard to do because even the software that's out there can't uh, promise that. The other thing that I really <laughs> like is it's a two-step verification process. That, that makes a big difference. Yeah, because you know what? When you dictate something, you don't want to have to get it back and reread it, but then reread it and proofread it at the same time. Because for me, there's always a difference between reading and proofreading. Oh, yes. We, yeah, with iScribe, they've got someone to type it, and then two people proofread it. Two people, all of whom are native English speakers. So you're not going to have those typical problems that you've had in the past with online transcription services. So I think it's it's something that everybody should check out, but even better than that is the cost. So, you know, instead of having to pay for somebody to sit there and you've got to give them minimum wage or whatever you're going to pay them if you're a small company, 89 cents per audio minute is what it costs to use iScribe. Um, the other thing, Bob, that I really love is the fact that they offer non-disclosure agreements right off the bat. You know how Perfect. many times? I've had to go out and use a service, and I've had to say to them, hey, listen, would you sign a non-disclosure agreement? Because what if you're a doctor? What if you're a lawyer? Oh. And what you know, information you're sending over there is confidential or privileged? You, know, you don't want right. to run into a situation where you find yourself uh, violating HIPAA laws because you've sent something out to a transcriptionist. So um, for those of you watching on YouTube, I'm going to switch over real quick and just show you the iScribe website. They've got a really great Frequently Asked Questions page. So all of the issues, all of the questions you might have, you can check it out there. 48-hour um, turnaround for all these services. So you dictate something, you upload it, which is super easy to do. All you do is go over to the Upload uh, Order tab, and then you just add your files. It'll take your files. Somebody will start working on it. And within 48 hours, you're going to have your typewritten work returned to you that's double-checked by two transcriptionists. And, you know, you and I were talking before the show that, you, you know, you're a radio guy, and you've used transcription, or you have to transcribe stuff, too. No, it's not just for doctors horrible. and lawyers. Yeah, yeah no, and, and even how many people that you know that, that are, I would call them journalists, for lack of a better term, but they may have a blog, and they may do interviews, or they may do a webcast or a podcast, and they have to go back and transcribe their interview to put it into print. They can't. Not, not a lot of people are making money on web costs, webcasts, and blog broadcasts. It's just not a, a profit-centered industry. But for a low enough cost, you can get that done for you. So you can do something else with your time. 
Absolutely, and I think that's the best part about it. You know, time is such a, a valuable commodity now. We don't have enough of it. So instead well, they make of, 24 hours a day. Yeah, exactly. So I think that uh, <laughs> it's a great service, and I would encourage everyone to go check out iScribe.com. There will be a link in the show notes to the webpage. Uh, for those of you who are just watching on YouTube Live, you saw a demo of the website. And there's a free transcription demo that you can order as well to try out their services. So iScribe is something that uh, I will be using, and I'm very excited about it and excited to bring it to you. So uh, thanks for, um, you know, checking them out, and thanks to iScribe for sponsoring the show. Absolutely. All right, Bob, got a lot of stuff <laughs> mm-hmm. to talk about today. It's been a busy week. Now, it's, you know, the funny thing is there's been a couple that have just dominated the headlines, and finally one wrapped up, Aaron Hernandez. Yeah. Um, finally, it's done. It's, 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 been, it's been almost two years since he was arrested. Um, I know. And, and finally, obviously, found guilty. Um, going away for life. Luckily, he did not get the light. The, uh, the well, I don't think they have the death uh, penalty up yonder in the, the left side of the state, the, uh, the the left leaning side of the country up there. Um, but um, is this just another example of a? I guess we'll call him an elite sports bully. What what went wrong with this guy? You know, I, I really don't know. It was just it's it's kind of a tragedy because. I think gone are the days when when I was little and kind of, you know, you idolized professional sure. athletes. I remember getting the Wheaties box with Bruce Jenner on it. And um, well, now that's a completely <laughs> other story. So. <laughs> I don't want to talk yeah, well, between, between the beacons, between the beacons, Peter. <laughs> Back when Bruce Jenner was an athlete and a man. Um, a I man. Think, <laughs> but I remember idolizing these guys. And and even in the 90s when you had players like Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman from Dallas, um, but now it's so different because these guys, I think, you know, you and I have talked about it before, this, this football mentality that happens in high school that carries through the rest of their lives. I don't know. Did he think that he could get away with this? I think it's, 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 it, I think he actually thought he could. I think he thought he had enough money. I think he thought he had enough uh, insulation. In, in what had happened, you know, and, and you, you look back and, and, and you look at the who was the guy in in, in uh, Back to the Future, the the, the, the antagonist uh, uh, Biff was a Biff. Biff, Biff. Yeah, so there, there's your, your 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 typical high school football stud goes on through life to continue his his ways that he's only known for for uh, for forty years, but you know as as you climb that ladder of success. And could, people continue to just give you everything you want, any time you want. And now you've got money to boot. I think it's exactly he thought he could get away with it. Yeah. And, and yeah. it just wasn't going to happen this time. It's kind of shocking, though, because I remember I was, um, I guess it was, um, when was it, Friday that they sentenced him? And I was coming back, well, it was Thursday, it was one of, the, one of the days last week. I was coming back from a business uh, meeting. And I was on the turnpike in Jersey, and I stopped in at a rest area, and all these people were glued to the TV, and uh, they were announcing the, the, you know, the sentence and everything, and people were gasping. And, you know, I think that there's this idea that sports athletes should get a second chance, and people were, like, outraged. Oh, my God, life in prison, he's such a young guy, and he's never going to get out, and this is, his whole life is over. 
But and it I is mean, an outrage, but it's the tragedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about during the trial this idea that he was carrying an iPad, not a gun, and obviously the jury didn't buy any of that. But it is. You're right. It's mm-hmm. a tragedy because now this guy who is young. I mean, I can't even imagine. Can you can you fathom being in your twenties? And knowing that the rest of your life you're going to be in a prison. I got married at 30. Can't believe it. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> your prison. Yeah, I, being married doesn't count. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> Different punishment. Degree of choice there. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. I mean, no, you you can't. And and even from the outside, you you have to think you know, like like that's and that's that that disbelief that people really throw into it's like. Oh my gosh! I was just watching him on TV. He was great. It's fall from grace syndrome, I suppose, if there is one. I'll coin it and give me a dollar every time you use it. Um, but it's it's that view that these guys are so good, they're so high up, they're on the pedestal, they can never do anything wrong. Well, you know, it's Mark McGuire. It's Barry. I mean, yeah. not to the degree, obviously. It's Barry Bonds. It's 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 uh, Sammy Sosa. It's Roger Clemens. It's all these guys who. Oh man, they cheated saying ain't so, you know. Come on, Joe. Um it, it's the, the the disbelief is greater when the swing to the worship side is greater, I suppose. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that um you know, you go back to, to the O. J. trial and that whole oh, yeah. buckle. Um people just didn't want to believe it because you know, one of the last images I think that people had of O. J. Simpson was in the Naked Gun series, you know, being that bumbling assistant to Frank Dremen and you know so first he's a football star and now he's this bumbling idiot and how could he do this how could he murder somebody sure. you know and I think that that yeah in the jer- and always smiling or jumping over or jumping through airports or whatever there was never a bad light depicted on the guy yeah yeah but you know what so. they're all people it doesn't make a difference and sometimes yeah. I think money just really can cloud oh, sure. your money and, and, power. and you look back and especially you look back now, and I don't know if that was probably, to, to me, that was really the opening, although the 24-hour news cycle had existed prior to, but that was the opening of the Pandora's box of news everywhere and saying, you know what, here's O.J. Simpson. You know, this guy's never done anything wrong. Oh, wait, he's been beating his wife for how long? And he finally killed her, allegedly. Yeah. Um, and that's what, that's when now everybody's into everything and why TMZ even exists. How many stories has TMZ broken in the last five years where if it's because this in ultra intrusive media, like it or not, it's there and it, it will pull you down if you're that high and you don't watch your P's and Q's. You know what? We're living in a different world. There are cameras at every street corner and everyone in the cities has cameras outside their, their buildings. I mean, you cannot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You can't escape uh, detection. This isn't the 1960s and 70s. And I think that in this world, whether people, some people believe it's a police state, some people don't. And clearly there's a lot going on with police throughout the country. And it seems like, you know, um, right after the Michael Brown thing, all of these police misgivings have been brought to light and given so much attention. They existed before, but... Now it's just everybody's, you know, out there and you can hypersensitive see. about it. Yeah. These police officers. Did you see the one um where the guy got gunned down, he was shot nine times, uh running out of yeah. the car? But there was a guy there with his cell phone 
who who recorded the whole thing. So you're living had in Had he a, not. Yeah, had he not, what would have happened? But right. everybody's got a video camera. Everybody's got a camera. Everybody's got recording devices on them. So hide, hide you cannot. And we said when, when, when the Michael Brown thing came down and the protesting, and we were, obviously we're not, you know, the way the protests were going, we weren't happy about it. I don't think anybody was, maybe except for the protesters. But the thing that we were worried about that we discussed was, man, we really hope that any change that comes out of this isn't a flash in the pan. And I think that that change has been the fact that it is starting to uh, bring to light all these problems that, that did exist before. And now they're finally being brought out. Maybe people are more conscious about it now because, hey, this could be the next Michael Brown. I need to film this. Yeah. So if anything, the conscious of the, of the community has woken up. And, and, man, I just hope that I'm never a part of it. And you know what? If you want to learn a lesson, you're going to be that stupid to commit a crime like, like you know, what uh, Hernandez, Hernandez was convicted of. Yeah. Don't have an in-home security camera pointing right at you. <laughs> I've always been told never put anything in writing you want to defend in court. Now it's never film anything you want to defend in court because it's going to come and get you. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and I saw some of that footage like, oops, uh, we forgot about that, didn't we? Yeah. Well. <laughs> Don't you remember like, well, the movies where people go in and they shoot the security cameras first? I mean, no, come on. <laughs> like die hard. Yeah, they're spray painting them or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even go back to the 1960s and the old Adam West Batman, the Joker would come in and spray paint the cameras. Just to miss those. <laughs> Do you learn anything from your childhood television days? Pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> must be a generational gap. You must have missed that. It, it, that's exactly correct. Batman should have stayed on longer. Um, <laughs> and, and Aaron Hernandez now a footnote in history, unfortunately. Just another sad case of uh, money, money, and, and, and talent, and everything else wasted. Yep. Yep. So we're moving along um, on to some more interesting stuff that happened uh, recently. Happened anyway with less, less, less the sentencing. Um, how about this guy? I couldn't even believe I saw it happening. Pilot who landed a gyrocopter on the U.S. Capitol lawn blogged about why he did it. <laughs> According to yep. CNN.com, before landing a gyrocopter on the, or a gyrocopter, depending on where you're from, on the Capitol lawn Wednesday, Doug Hughes, no relation, wrote about his intentions and the reasons behind them on a website called thedemocracyclub.org. The pilot, or excuse me, the point of the flight, he said, is to spotlight corruption in D.C. and more importantly, to present the solution or solutions to the institutional graft. The 61-year-old Florida postal carrier wrote in an online post titled, Your Pilot. My flight is not a secret, the post says. Before I took off, I sent an email to info at BarackObama.com, because he gets that every day, explaining that shooting me down will be a bigger headache than letting me deliver these letters to Congress. Hughes' friend Michael Shanahan told CNN that Hughes called him Wednesday morning and told him to check out their website. The purpose of it was to call attention to the United States concerning our campaign finance laws or the lack thereof, according to Shanahan. Hughes had his first appearance in court scheduled for this coming Thursday. On Wednesday, he took off in his gyrocopter from Maryland and traveled through restricted airspace over Washington, landing on <laughs> the Capitol's West Lawn inside the small personal aircraft. He had letters for every member of Congress urging campaign finance reform. There's no need to worry. I'm just delivering the mail, Hughes wrote in his post. The two men together run a website, nonprofit corporation called The Civilist Papers, which focuses on such issues, Shanahan said. 
In his post, Hughes also wrote that uh, of his time spent in the Navy and described his family. Shannon said Hughes mentioned the idea when the two were brainstorming a couple years ago. And having grown up in Washington, Shannon and Han opposed the idea, wisely enough. I told him that, no, that was an insane plan because the chances are he was going to get killed. Well, luckily, he made it through our, our incredible air defense system around the capital. Now everybody in ISIS is going, oh, gyrocaptor, gotcha. <laughs> Too small for radar. Thank you, Mr. Hang, Hughes. Hang glider. <laughs> yeah, hang glider. He's probably he probably did a much better job than the United States Postal Service would have at delivering these letters in a timely fashion. So maybe <laughs> if, they'd all, if they'd all use gyrocopters. <laughs> oh. You know what? Yeah, it's, that's a good point. Yeah, it's really sad though because I think that you know it's yes yeah, something civil disobedience. He shouldn't have done it. Clearly, he's going to be punished for it. Um, but it does point out and highlight something that I think is so concerning because, you know, you talk about how the U.S. has all of these enemies overseas and every day it's a new report about ISIS recruiting. And, and then, you know, you feel as though there's this area in D.C. that will always be protected and the president and all the, the government officials only to then find out that this guy can can fly in land on the White House lawn, and then you go back to months ago when people were jumping the fence. I just heard on the news today that now they're putting spiked barbs on the top of the fence so that people can't jump over. Uh, that does not do anything for the copters like this guy had. But No. <laughs> their their so, liability insurance may increase as well. Yeah. I mean, if the CIA can see you sitting on a toilet, right, what is going on? Now, I wouldn't want to see this guy shot down and killed because I don't think no. he was doing anything other than proving a point. Um, but wouldn't you think that we're sophisticated enough as a nation to be able to identify the threat and deal with it? I mean, they didn't even know he was there, and he had told people about this months in advance. I think it was like a year before his flight. He wrote to them, and he said, I'm coming. And then I guess the, secret service, the Secret Service and, and, uh, talked to him, or the FBI did. They interviewed the guy. I don't understand it. Uh, I mean, what do you think? Do you think this guy should be punished and charged as a criminal? He obviously has to pay for breaking the law. He he full well knew what he was doing. He full well knew that it was illegal. However, um, and, and, and to that, he needs to have some sort of civil liability or criminal liability. But... Desperate times call for desperate measures, as the old adage goes. And it is, if, if nothing else, it should be a wake-up call to, to government individuals. That, you know what? We really are cheesing people off that bad that they will, and sadly, it's a postal carry. And we all know postal carriers don't have the best reputation when it comes to not freaking out and doing odd things. Um, but it's, it's so bad that we have people will literally get into a desk chair strapped to a motor and some wings and land a plane or some form of flying machine on our front lawn to deliver us the message that we aren't getting. That's the sad yeah. thing about it. It is. But yeah, he's got to, he's got to, he's got to, he's got to pay some criminal cost per se. You, you can't, you don't need to make it, you know, put him out front within a firing squad, but you can't just not punish the guy and say, Oh, well, hey, he didn't mean it because now you're opening the door. In my yeah. opinion. I think that's that's exactly what's going to happen. I think that 
to make an example, but it's a shame because really they should be hiring him to highlight some of the other areas where, you know, Washington's not secure. Um, I, I don't like the idea. <laughs> Give him a consultant. Kind of like hiring hiring the hacker that penetrates your system to figure out yeah. how not to penetrate your <laughs> in one of the Transformers movies they did that. They brought in all the hackers to help them defeat the Decepticons. Why not here? Um, but, you know, what I don't like is I obviously don't like the idea of government control where you've, you've now entered into a police state. That's not good. Mm-hmm. But there does have to be a balance where there is some security in place, um, but I don't know. And then you've got the other side of this, which is what you were highlighting, the fact that here you've got these representatives that are supposedly in in D.C. on your behalf, yet nobody listens to you. And I think that it became very depressing as a nation because what power, what rights, what vote do you have as an individual? Does anybody even know you're there is, I think, the sentiment. And so you elect these politicians, and I don't care who you elect. I have not seen a politician yet that does not have some level of corruption that is somehow right. out of their own interest. So it's just, I don't think it's something that can ever be fixed, but talk about straying from what the founding fathers thought that this nation and the freedoms that it had would be. Yeah, it's, 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 I don't know how long it's been bought and paid for, but it's been a very long time. Um, and, and that's, and that's, that's a great point is, is everyone has pulled a string here or there. Um, but uh, people have yet to figure out the fact, I mean, Congress has at one point in the past 12 months had a 10% approval rating here. You have, this was before the election yet you have a 90% retention level when it comes to reelection. So we're getting what we're buying. <laughs> yeah. You know, people haven't figured that's bad. No, no, they haven't figured out that the, uh, the primary is where you do your work. Mm-hmm. Stop electing these people that you are so frustrated with. Yeah. I mean, I've yet to hear anybody say a good word about Congress. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. Still, it's the best game in town. It's just whether or not it'll get fixed. But uh, yeah, no, that's it, yeah. Don't don't start strapping on rocket rocket packs and trying to land in the front yard. Maybe that's what they need. They need a guy out front with a rocket pack to start knocking yeah. down these uh, helicopters. Um, a um, man has sued the New York Police Department, saying he was denied seizure medicine even though he was wearing a hospital bracelet. Uh, ABAJournal.com telling us that Ronald A. Eleanor, I'm going to take a stab at that, says he was still wearing a hospital bracelet and had his medical discharge papers in his backpack in March when he was arrested by New York police along with a friend after officers allegedly saw smoke coming out of the windows of their vehicle. I don't know why that would get you arrested, but uh, although the paperwork packed, uh, backed up his claim that he needed his anti-convulsant medication that he was carrying to avoid seizures, police refused to give it to him resulting in two seizures and two hospitalizations during the two days he was held in Brooklyn, a federal civil rights suit alleges. He was released after the Kings County District Attorney's Office declined to prosecute, reports Newsweek. Uh, He says, my family members kept telling me you had two seizures in one day. You know you can die from seizures, right, said Eleanor. My doctors told me this. You've got to make a case against them because if you don't, suppose this uh, continues to happen to a lot of other people. City's law department told Newsweek it is reviewing the lawsuit. Um, have you ever been involved in something like this? Because people, I don't think they understand what their rights may be when it comes once they're arrested, when it comes to medical access. 
you know, I have um, been involved in cases like this, and, you know, I unfortunately have been involved on the defense of these claims, and I say unfortunately because the cases that I have seen have involved people who, for the most part, were just full of crap. And so we were defending the police departments. Um, I, I've not actually been involved in a case where you have somebody who might have committed a crime of some sort, but yet is de- is, is uh, denied civil rights. Um, uh, when I was defending these claims, you know, I remember there was a case with a guy who was pulled over, who was sort of antagonizing the police because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt and he didn't have any identification with him. And uh, they ultimately took him down to the ground, and he had some scratches and nonsense. But clearly, when you watch the video of that, um, his civil rights weren't violated. He, he did it. Then there were, it was a case involving somebody in jail who claimed that they weren't being provided proper medical treatment or medical care. And again, sure. that's just not the case. This is a different scenario because here you've got a guy who says, I need my meds, here's my bracelet, and they say, we don't care or we don't believe you. And then the guy has seizures. So this is a case where even if he had done something wrong, he's still entitled to those moderate, a moderate level of civil rights. And even when you're in prison, you still have some civil rights. And, and again, you know, if the prison system is designed to sort of rehabilitate, or at least that's what some people theorize, to rehabilitate people, you know, how can you... Um, subject them to such unfair treatment and punishment if you expect them to turn around and rehabilitate themselves. I don't know that that's setting a good example. Sure. No, and well, in this case, it, if everything he says is true, this has got to be, this, this supersedes, I would think, like you had said, the, um, um, the, uh, the, the amount of immunity that a, a a police department would have because this is just plain flat out neglect. Yeah, I would think so. I would think that that you would be able to get around some of those police protections and immunities because remember, in order to to, to have a civil rights claim against a municipal entity, you've got to be able to show that their conduct was egregious, was um, gross negligence beyond mere negligence. And I would say in this situation where somebody has a bracelet on identifying a situation where they're asking multiple times for medication and they're being ignored, I would think that that probably rises to a level of gross negligence. Um, Mm -hmm. But I've seen cases like this where the defense is based around the fact that uh, it was a a situation where we, we felt threatened or we used our best judgment at the time. And so it'll be interesting to see where it, it plays out, but Again, I mean, you do have some level of civil rights, even if you're being arrested. So I think in this case, I think that the police probably screwed up, and I think that um, he might get something out of this. Sure. No, and then sadly, hopefully the, I said, hopefully, someone will change their process as well out of it. It's not always about the money. And I would sue for a dollar if I get you to change your ways. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and more cop complaints, as we talked about earlier on in the show. A canine attack victim wins access to cop complaints. CourthouseNews.com telling us Atlantic City cannot shield information that identifies other individuals who complained about the police officers one man is suing after a canine unit mauled him. Federal judge has ruled. 
David Connor Castellani admits he was drinking underage when the Tropicana Casino and Hotel in Atlantic City, New Jersey, threw him out during the wee hours of June 15th of last year. Many of the allegations from a lawsuit Castellani has filed that October match the video surveillance posted on, of course, CNN. Excuse me. The video shows the 20-year-old Castellani yelling at the officers from across the street. Always a good idea. Though Castellani says he is merely asking for help finding a ride home. Um, and maybe it was the text you used. He says a heated verbal exchange then ensued when the officers mocked and ridiculed him. Castellani says he did not threaten the officers, but that they suddenly bum-rushed him, quote-unquote, and began to viciously assault him, according to the complaint. Indeed, the video shows four officers run toward Castellani and tackle him to the ground. I am not resisting Castellani, Lee, excuse me, Castellani allegedly cried out as the officers punched, kneed, kicked, and clubbed him. Castellani says a fifth officer arrived and joined the group in kneeing him and striking him with batons as they struggled to put him in handcuffs. One of the hands was allegedly cuffed when Officer Sterling Wheaton arrived in the canine unit. Castellani says Wheaton ordered the dog to attack him, though he was completely subdued and helpless, according to the report. Castellani's complaint notes that Wheaton has never been disciplined for 21 civilian complaints of misconduct filed against him between 2008 and 2011, including 15 for excessive force or assault. Last year, U.S. District Judge Renee Bum agreed to let the officers stay Castellani's suit pending resolution of his criminal charges. The Atlantic City, in the meantime, agreed to produce internal affairs files related to the officer for a six-year period. Though the city wanted to redact the identifying information of the witnesses and individuals who filed the complaints, U.S. District Judge Anne Marie Donio shot that motion down on April 9th. Without access to the names and addresses of the complainants and witnesses, plaintiff would be forced to accept Atlantic City's conclusion in the IA reports without any means or avenues for independently verifying the accuracy of the reports. Daniel wrote, Indeed, the names and addresses of individuals who could verify or contradict the accuracy of the IA reports and shed light on the extent of the IA investigations, investigations which plaintiff claims were insufficient or inadequate, clearly are relevant. Now, the present litigation involves claims pertaining to alleged police officer misconduct and performance of police officer duties and investigations of their performance, and it is a matter of great public importance, Daniel wrote. Basically, they try to protect themselves. Say, well, yeah, we investigated and we didn't find anything, and you just got to take that. That's not going to be good enough. Does that seem like that makes sense? Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. You know, back when I was defending these claims, IA files were something that plaintiffs always wanted, and there was mm-hmm. a reason for it because... If you are, um, you know, going to look at your civil rights and what has been violated or potentially been violated, you want to see if there's a pattern of behavior because a pattern of behavior will push through any of these immunities that might exist out there. And so it's very common, you know, and I think that it's important if you are really looking at the interest of justice. I think that, you know, look, the reason that we've got a three system government with the executive, legislative, and judicial is for checks and balances because you don't want one to have more power than the other. Why not the same thing here with police? I mean, you're giving them power. You're giving them authority to enforce the laws. No, not write them, but enforce them, which is sometimes more difficult than creating them. But where's the checks and balances? And I think that with IA files and with Uh, providing a plaintiff with this information so that they can independently verify whether or not the information is accurate, I think is a good checks and balance system. So 
So I, I am a big believer that IA files should be discoverable, and you should have to produce information concerning the complainants in those records so that a plaintiff claiming civil rights violations can go and verify it. And, you know, it sure. might extend the case longer because now there's more discovery. But I think that civil rights are something that um, it, it, it's so important because people come to this country. I don't know about now, but people used to come to this country because <laughs> of those civil rights. And And why would you want to injure the rights of the people of this country? So I think that this is a good decision. I think it's the right decision. And I think that it should happen more freely. Um, but in every case that I've ever seen, there's always been an argument about whether or not those IA files are discoverable. And one point, mm-hmm. Bob, that I make, discoverable and admissible are two different things. We oh. had a case, yeah, I had a case I defended where somebody asked for and obtained through the federal court system IA files of an officer. And one of the IA complaints involved uh, brandishing a weapon while off-duty in a bar. And okay. he wanted, you know, they had, no, they had access to this. They wanted to use that at trial. But it had absolutely nothing to do with the issues that they were presenting in their case. It was completely separate. It didn't involve any sort of brutality. Any, it was completely different. And the court ruled that it was not admissible. And so something's discoverable, meaning you have a right to see it, but it might not be admissible. So in this case, if this guy, I mean, let's back up to the beginning of what caused this event. If it is found that for some ungodly reason, what happened to him was warranted, does that basically remove the court's, or I say the court, not really the court's ability, but does that remove the relevancy of any IA reports for excessive force or assault? It might. I mean, if, if they were able to show that, he was absolutely belligerent and hostile, and there was a threat, and, and you know, uh, there was no other way for these officers to protect themselves or to enforce the laws but to do what they did. Then that might not even be relevant. But if he were to be able to find in the IA files other victims, other complainants who have had similar things happen to them, brutality, mm-hmm. uh, the use of canine dogs, then those those IA reports and those witnesses might be relevant, but it all has to be very similar to the events that happened with him. You know, so you couldn't have, for example, an IA report that says uh, we had a drug-sniffing dog who ran through the house, find a, a, found a stash of cocaine, and when the owner of the cocaine tried to grab it, the dog bit him. That's not going to be admissible because that's not relevant. Right. That's not a brutality issue. That is a dog who wants to protect his cocaine. <laughs> and who can blame the dog generally? Exactly. <laughs> so that's where that's going to go. Dogs are fierce addicts. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, so it, but the, 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 I guess the overall crux of it is you have some rights when it comes to what you can discover when you're in a situation battling City Hall, per se. Yes. Yep. So there you go. Something hitting close to the heart, right in the stomach, actually. Illegal lobster harvest costs three people $22.4 million. That's a lot of red lobsters. 
Green lobsters, as a matter of fact. Three men convicted of illegally harvesting rock lobsters, according to courthousenews.com in South Africa, importing them to the U.S. Now they must pay a $22.4 million restitution order, the second court ruled. Arnold Bendis and Jeffrey Knoll pleaded guilty in Manhattan federal court to conspiracy to commit smuggling and to violating the Lacey Act which bans trade in illegally retrieved wildlife. Uh, David Bengus also pleaded guilty to conspiracy to violate the Lacey Act. According to prosecutors, the men harvested rock lobsters along the coast of South Africa from 1987 to 2001 and then shipped them to the United States through their company, Help Bay Fishing Industries. The men were indicted in the U.S. in 2004, and after, paying, or excuse me, after entering their guilty pleas, they were sentenced to prison terms in varying length and ordered to pay $13.3 million to the U.S. Now, although the plea agreements acknowledged that further restitution was a possibility, the district court deferred addressing it at the time. Later, the United States sought restitution on behalf of South Africa, but the court rejected that effort, holding that the nation hadn't been a victim of the defendant's offenses, uh, the defendant's offenses under U.S. law. The second court threw out that decision in 2011, and the United States moved to dismiss the men's appeal of the restitution order because they refused to comply with a deposit to transfer assets to a Swiss bank. These guys are hiding money now. The men argue that the order violates their Sixth Amendment rights because the restitution amount was not based on, a val- on the value of lobsters decided by a jury. But U.S. Circuit Court Judge John M. Walker Jr. found that under the Mandatory Victims Restitution Act and Victims and Witness Protection Act, no maximum restitution amount is specified. Therefore, a judge cannot find facts that would cause the amount to exceed a prescribed statutory maximum, he wrote. The defendant cited Southern Union Company versus the United States, where a jury found the defendant had violated an environmental statute but could not be assessed an $18 million fine because it exceeded the $50,000 statutory maximum. Basically saying, hey, the law says you can charge this, can't overcharge me. In this case, there was never a determinate amount of maximum restitution that the defendants faced under the MVRA. Restitution is always determined with respect to the value of the property that is lost, the three-judge panel found. The district court could not and did not exceed a maximum that did not exist. It held that because David Bengus only allocated to involvement with the conspiracy from 1999 to 2001, his portion of the order potentially may not include any actions by the defendants before 1999. Now they're saying if David Bengus' understandings of the scope of the conspiracy joined in 1999 was such that he knew or reasonably should have known about some or all of the conspiracy's past imports, his restitution order should encompass those amounts. Basically, if you knew what was going on, you got to pay for it, Walker wrote. However, if David Bengus joined the conspiracy without reasonable knowledge of his co-conspirators' past activities, then at that point he should not be held liable for the loss caused by those activities. That's really, how do you prove what he did and didn't know? Yeah, and that's through testimony and through whether or not a jury believes him. I mean, those are our questions of fact. It's interesting because in this in this case, on their appeal, they tried to argue the Sixth Amendment rights that they should have access to, to a jury. And the judge is essentially saying there is no factual information out there that a jury need decide. So this is a, a real good example of a case where, you know, we've talked in the past about judges decide questions of law, juries decide questions of fact. So Correct. the judge, in deciding that there's no statutory maximum and therefore could charge these lobster hunters whatever he wanted – is is essentially saying that, no, there's no Sixth Amendment right violation here because I'm a judge, this is a question of law, I can interpret the statute, 
and I can charge whatever I want because this is my interpretation of the statute. Not a factual issue. As you know, it, it, compared to the conspiracy charge, where now you're exactly right. How do you prove it? Well, now you've got to introduce fact, and you've got to introduce evidence and testimony, and a jury has to decide whether or not they believe that testimony. That becomes a question of fact. So this is a good example of you know showing the the, the I saw the the dichotomy between um, questions of law, questions of fact, and what can be decided and not decided. So I mean, all in all, this is kind of a crazy case when you think about you know how profitable illegal lobster <laughs> harvesting can be. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I, I I I'm in the wrong business. I need to fish more. <laughs> yeah, just don't go down to South Africa. <laughs> My wife gets mad enough when I say I have to go play. Just call it work, she says. You're not playing. You're working. I play guitar and I get paid, so I can't help that. <laughs> but yeah, it is. Um, the interesting thing I found about this was that how long they were doing it for. I mean, you're talking about 15 years these guys were doing this. And, and how did they get – I'm more, even more curious about how they got caught. What did they, how did they screw that up? But I know. Um, hiding money in, in – in, I'm sure hiding money in Swiss bank accounts were probably – it could be a, a little bit of a red flag. Yeah, I think the Swiss <laughs> bank account thing will definitely get you. But um, certainly, again, a good example in this case about questions of law, questions of fact, and just yeah. don't illegally harvest lobsters. <laughs> Bottom line here. Well, even if, even if we're talking about lobster in this particular case, it could be anything. You know, yeah. people hunt every, you know, probably down near every state in the Union, um, maybe with the exception of Rhode Island. I don't know if I've never been there. It doesn't seem big enough to house a deer. Um, the, you know, you'd be surprised what people will, will, will do. Um, and then, you know, we come between poaching out of season, um, especially in Michigan. You know, there's always stories of, of, of people doing stupid things when it comes to, um, uh, poaching wildlife. And so, I mean, you, you get whacked pretty good if you're not paying attention for it. And I think, matter of fact, isn't there a, a seizure rule where they basically can take everything you used? Yeah. And, and you may not be different than if you used your vehicle, if you used the guns, whatever you used in the commission of that illegal game capture, you lose. Yeah, depending upon the state, so, that's true. And they can take yeah, everything. And I think Michigan's yeah. one of them. Yeah. So pay attention, folks. If you're, going to illegally <laughs> hunt, if you're going to illegally hunt, the key is to just bring your wife. <laughs> What's that? Leave my gun. You can take her. <laughs> right over my head. I'm sorry for that. Okay. Um, anyway. <laughs> Something we've talked about, well, we haven't talked about this particular situation, but we've talked about how people understand other people. A fired lawyer has blamed gay conversion therapy. According to courthousenews.com in Sacramento, a Sacramento psychiatrist who practices gay conversion therapy defamed a gay aunt, attorney prison guard, which I don't even want to get into ambulance chasing right there, uh, an attorney prison guard, uh, to his employer after confining him with a large dog under compelled coercion, the lawyer claims in court. Calvin Chang says he was referred to Dr. Benjamin Kaufman after filing a discrimination complaint against his employer, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Chang, who'd complained that he was denied promotion because of his sexual orientation, claims there were no facts or lawful basis whatsoever to justify his referral to Kaufman. Chang says he is a licensed attorney with more than 20 years of law enforcement experience. 
In his April 15th complaint in Superior Court, Chang says Coffin told him that he, the doctor, was a conservative Republican and thus he knows discrimination, implying that apparently conservative Republicans are the real victims of discrimination, not gay men. Uh, Chang says in the lawsuit that Coffin is a nationally recognized and outspoken critic of gay men whom he views as having a mental disorder. He describes the homosexual condition as a self-destructive behavior, a sexual deviation, or deeply disturbing and a threat. Now, Chang again claims Kaufman disclosed private information to the prison's department, including false allegations that Chang was a threat to specific law enforcement officials and that these lies cost him his job. He claims that the prison department fired him just, uh, just after his fourth and last session with Kaufman, three years before he became eligible for a public safety pension. Chang now practices law in Sacramento, so he fell back in his other degree. Chang says yeah. Coffin subjected him to reparative therapy which, without his consent and therefore, uh, excuse me, then threatened to have him fired if he didn't accept the prison department's offer of demotion. Says Coffin subjected him to discriminatory and threatening behavior because of his sexual orientation. Among other things, he says he was subjected to confinement in a room with a large dog under compelled coercion and behind numerous locked doors. Um, now, of course, Chang says that during one therapy session, he asked Kaufman what caused him to conclude that Chang was unable to perform the essential functions of the job. And Kaufman replied, the idea that you're being discriminated against on the basis of lifestyle, basis of skin color or ethnicity, and you're seeing everything through that lens. Kaufman decided, declined to comment on the lawsuit, referred courthouse news to his attorney, who could not be reached for comment. Now, Chang is seeking damages for civil rights violations, defamation, discrimination, aiding and abetting discrimination, privacy invasion, fraud and deceit, violation of medical privacy, retaliation, professional negligence, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Wow. Um, my first question is, what is a lawyer doing being a de- Department of Correction prison guard? But uh, that has nothing to do with anything. Um, this is, you know, obviously it's been discussed, you know, reparative therapy. It's, they say it's never, I don't say it's never going to work, but they say it's not a recommended process. How does the Department of Corrections end up referring this guy to somebody to do this? That's the you know, eye crux of the argument. It's crazy, and it, it clearly, in my mind, um, is discriminatory, just based upon the fact that they would refer him out to a conversion therapy. I mean, listen, whether you think that homosexuality is right, wrong, indifferent, it doesn't make a difference. The fact is that you can't discriminate against somebody on the basis of sexual orientation. And the idea of, of gay conversion therapy in the first place makes absolutely zero sense to me. I think that that in and of itself, I mean, it's, look, somebody said to me once that uh, people in uh, the the conversion therapy industry, they themselves have some sort of mental issue if they're going into a profession like that to begin with. Um, but it's interesting because this whole practice is is snake oil. And when you take somebody and you say to them, listen, you know, you're homosexual and we can cure that, that suggests that being homosexual is a disease, which it is not. And now you're going to, as the Department of Corrections, send somebody to another guy who believes that homosexuality is a disease, how is that not discrimination? It makes no sense. Uh, it's it, it's not like this happened. The, the way this this story set up, it's like it happened twenty or thirty years ago, if not longer. Um, yeah. 
especially in, in, in California, which tends to be a little more progressive than other states of the union. Um, so it's, 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 it's interesting to me that they could even possibly rely on this, this, this Dr. Kaufman at all, but apparently with the stack of, of, of damage, <laughs> uh, directives he's being, he's asking for, uh, it's pretty much going to cover everyone. Yeah. You know, the the most important issue that you identified is what is a lawyer doing as a corrections officer? And <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Target-rich environment. <laughs> the, the profession of being a lawyer can sometimes be so absolutely frustrating that you almost can understand why people are looking for alternative careers. And it's funny that being a lawyer is his fallback position. So... You know, I would like to talk to him and say to him, what made you want to do this? Because that's really an interesting question. So, <laughs> What made you want to be a lawyer? You had it so good. You were a prison guard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is something wrong with you, but it has nothing to do with reparative therapy. That's right. Uh, <laughs> put him in a room and put him in, put him in a room with a big dog and, a, and, a, and some law text and see how he does. Give him a canine. You know, the other thing that's interesting, though, is, uh, is what you pointed out about Obama and the April 8th end to this conversion therapy. Um, I think yeah. that everyone at this point knows that conversion therapy is not really a reliable means of therapy in any sense. It, it, the funny thing is about it, the, the term conversion therapy seems fairly oxymoronic to me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I recognize that you are not white, but we're going to make you white through therapy. Well, didn't they do that with Michael Jackson? <laughs> through plastic surgery, that's different. Okay. <laughs> now, he had a skin condition, allegedly, and I don't know. I've not seen his chart, so I can't I can either confirm or deny any kind of actual skin condition. But, uh, um, but yeah, it just, it, 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 I, again, you know, it's it's so... It it, it 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 smacks of a bloodletting to cure you. Yeah. You know, you, you look back in medieval times, you need a, there was a Saturday Night Live skit with Steve Martin. You need a good bloodletting. He was the doctor. Um, and it, it's so, so bass backwards that, it, it, you know, I guess, I guess when you're, when you're, as with any, and I want to, want to tiptoe around the word I want to use, as with any situation that is viewed to be out of the norm by mainstream society, they start to, what can we do to normalize these, these individuals, or at least normalize them in our eyes? Right. And that's when things start to, the, the, the wheels come off the buggy. And, and, it, and it takes a while sometimes to figure it out. And, and as wrong as it's ever been, um, it's going to continue to happen. You know, I think that, that that's interesting because the, the conversion therapist, him or herself, if they believe they can fix you, right, then they believe you're broken. So they're either doing right. this are not comfortable with homosexuality or they just think that it's a cash cow and they can bilk people out of, out of money. It's one of the sure. other. So I think it was a and good... That leaves that snake, snake oil. Yeah. So maybe Obama did something right by... Uh, Passing that law. That's 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 good. Careful, careful, careful. You're on dangerous ground there. I'm starting <laughs> to write my letter of resignation right now. 
let's let's, let's not go overboard. No, in, in all seriousness, yeah, there's <laughs> a degree of of uh, compassion there. Um, but a lot of it, a lot of it's common sense. We like to hope. Um, but unfortunately, common sense doesn't always win out. Oh, mom says a school let an abuser slide. According to courthousenews.com in McAllen, Texas, Texas school district didn't fire a teacher who selectively sexually violated a student, quote-unquote, likely due to his status as an educator of the year, the boy's mother claims in court. I wonder what he teaches. Uh, Judith Moreno sued McAllen Independent School District on behalf of her son, J.M., on April 15th in federal court. Moreno claims J.M.'s debate team teacher, Ezequiel Gonzalez, uh, is, uh, who is at McAllen High School, first took advantage of her son on a trip to San Antonio in early 2012. During a debate team tournament, Gonzalez, quote-unquote, engaged J.M. in inappropriate sexual conduct in a hotel room on two consecutive nights, Moreno has claimed. The district is the only defendant in the lawsuit. Moreno's attorney, Javier Pena, did not return a request for an explanation about why she did not sue Gonzalez. Great question. Um, after returning from the trip, Ezekiel Gonzalez continued to engage J.M. in inappropriate conduct, even doing so while on campus in other states. Moreno claims that uh, this went on throughout the spring of 2012 semester until she had just heard about it. Um, Moreno complete, or, excuse me, promptly informed officials at McAllen High School who feigned an investigation into the matter by pulling J.M., a minor, out of class and questioning him without a parent. Good call. However, no action was taken against Gonzalez, likely due to his status as an educator of the year. And Moreno claims that school officials told her to contact police and wash their hands of the matter. McAllen ISD spokesman Mark May said Gonzalez no longer works for the school and that he could not comment on the lawsuit because the district has not yet been served. Uh, presumably, according to the complaint, the offender, offending educator was allowed to leave MISD with the ability to continue to work at other schools as an educator. Moreno claims that Gonzalez was mocked by students for always pulling male students out of class to talk to them in private. She seeks damages for civil rights and Title IX violations, assault and battery, negligence, and infliction of emotional distress. Um, there's a website, believe it or not, that tracks <laughs> educator-student involvement. And, and it's sad that there's as many as there are. Um, there's a little bit more to this story that I kind of pulled out because of the length of the description. There's a lot of history with this particular high school uh, involving the possibility of sexual deviance by their educators. Um, but unfortunately, they, the other a lot of rumors speculated based on it. Um, when, when, the funny thing is here is what are why 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 do this is the question for you, Peter? Why do schools take an educator like Gonzalez and say this is what's up? Here's your opportunity to resign, and they don't you know, do anything about it. This guy goes and teaches somewhere else. I think that part of it is um, it's easier to enter into agreement with this guy where he resigns than it is to fire him. Um, I, yeah. I think at least that's the decision that some school districts have debated over. Where do we have liability uh, what's the recourse going to be for Gonzalez? Is he going to turn around and sue us? You know, we're now dealing with this lawsuit that's been filed. Is this the next thing, some sort of labor law dispute, um, some sort of discrimination claim? Are we going to next be sued by him? 
So I think that sometimes it's just easier and perhaps they view it as um, not as much liability. But I think that the better and stronger approach when you have been able to identify something like this going on, I personally think you have to fire this person. I think that, you know, when they go for their next job interview, wherever they go, I think that uh, when they say, you know, where did you work last? Can we call your employer? I think you would want that individual to have to say no. And, you know, obviously they're not going to tell you why they were fired. But, you know, I think that firing somebody like this really is the best course of action. I know that it might create some additional work or worry for the school district, but I think it's the better approach than to just let him resign. And the thing is, if, if, if the allegations made and they suspend the teacher pending the investigation, is there a degree of responsibility on the part of the district when it comes to the, the union's going to come back and say, you suspended him for nothing. So we're yeah. going to hammer you now. Is that also part of the, the concern? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, you talk about unions, unions just kind of have fallen by the wayside in today's modern world, unless you're talking about, um, you know, some of the, the cable or uh, mm-hmm. television. Tell, you know, tell, not televisions, but um, tele- like, uh, Verizon. Yeah, exactly. Sure. I think you see it there and you see it in education. Um, and I think that there is this fear that you're going to go to the union and there's going to be an issue and then there's going to be a strike or there's going to be some other retaliation. And so it's just easier to let him resign. Um, I, I think that that absolutely is a factor that they consider. And, you know, these school boards... Even in the smallest of towns, they typically don't make decisions by themselves, and when they do make them by themselves, they always end up being the incorrect decision. <laughs> but you know, they, they generally will consult with the board attorney. There's, I don't know, I, I haven't seen a school district, at least in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, where they don't have some form of legal representation, even if it's on... Um, you know, a case-by-case basis where they can go and consult with somebody before they do it. Because I find that in the school districts, their biggest thing is, let's pass the buck. Let's say that the attorney told us to do it. Um, you know, because look at what right. school boards are made up of. They're generally made up of volunteers. And they don't want that liability. So pass the buck. Nor do they understand what they can and can't do half the time, I'm sure. Yeah, that's true, too. So, you know, interesting point here, though, is is the question, why wasn't Gonzalez sued? Yeah, that, that's the thing. You know, and it's, I think... You'll never know. <laughs> yeah. I think that you know, in a state like New Jersey, where we've got a, um, a law that, that's called the Entire Controversy Doctrine, they want you to bring all necessary parties in mm-hmm. to the lawsuit. And, and that sometimes can be um, a bar for later, you know, trying to bring somebody in. Uh, but... It's possible here that they know that Gonzalez has no money. He's not a deep pocket defendant. So go against the school board because they have insurance, and maybe that's what is the motivation. Um, Maybe they have some other plan, but I don't think you would want to sue everybody and sort it out uh, because, you know, a jury, at least in states like New Jersey, can still apportion liability to... Somebody else. If, oh, okay. 
if this is all Gonzalez's fault, the fact that you don't sue him in New Jersey at least doesn't mean that a jury is going to be able to say that, all right, since you didn't sue Gonzalez, we can't consider other people's negligence. We can only consider the school boards. They would look at this and they would say in their minds, I think that Gonzalez is the, 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 the fault here. He is, um, let's say he has had no criminal past, no history of, of sexual misconduct, nothing. And it was, uh, he was background checked and screened, everything checked out and verified. And all of a sudden, you know, he just had a, a moment of weakness and, and did this. Um, and let's say it only happened one time. Then I think that the school board would have a pretty good defense. We didn't know this was an action of an individual. We had no warning. There was nothing that we could do to prevent it. Sure. And as soon as we found out about it, we fired him. Now, if Gonzalez isn't in that lawsuit, that doesn't mean that they can't say this is the independent action of Gonzalez and the school board has nothing to do with it. They can still say, you know, no finding a fault on the school board. I, I don't okay. understand why they didn't, but that could just be, you know, for the ease of making this lawsuit, I guess, more manageable for the attorney. Sure. <laughs> well, we'll find out if it ever gets settled and makes headlines. <laughs> Something that has been making headlines lately, freedom of speech and Yelp. Yelp does not have to unmask reviewers, a Virginia high court has ruled. According to Wall Street Journal, WSJ.com, Virginia's highest court ruled on Thursday that Yelp does not have to disclose the identities of online users accused by a small business owner of posting fraudulent negative reviews about his carpet cleaning business. The court decided the issue on jurisdictional grounds, not on the more controversial constitutional question about the rights of online reviewers to post critical comments behind a veil of anonymity. The closely watched dispute before Virginia's highest court centered on a complaint brought by the owner of Hadid Carpet Cleaning Incorporated of Springfield, Virginia. Joe Hadid had claimed uh, his suburban business was besieged by a rash of harsh Yelp reviews in 2012. That summer, he sued seven reviewers for defamation and demanded that Yelp disclose their identities. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mr. Hadid claimed the reviews were posted by competitors and says sales plummeted after the, f- the comments were posted. Yelp argued that without proof of his claims, the, first, the users had a First Amendment right to post an, uh, anonymously. The state trial court and the Virginia Court of Appeals sided with Mr. Hadid, holding Yelp in contempt for not turning over the names. The company then took its case to the Virginia Supreme Court. As the Associated Press reports, the justice of reviewing the case concluded that the lower court judge lacked the authority to make Yelp unmask the viewers. The opinion states, in sum, we conclude that the circuit court was not empowered to enforce the non-party subpoena deuces. This term is what, Peter? Deuces take them. There you go. Brushing up on my my Latin today. Directing Yelp to produce documents located in California in connection with Hadid's underlying defamation action against the John Doe defendants in the Virginia Circuit Court. Although the General Assembly has expressly authorized Virginia courts to exercise personal jurisdiction over non-resident parties, it has not expressly authorized Virginia courts to compel non-resident non-parties to produce documents located outside of Virginia. Yelp would be that party. The decision is a blow to Virginia's small businesses, Mr. Hadid's attorney uh, told Law Blog by email, said he could still petition for a rehearing. Yelp's litigation director, Adam, or excuse me, Aaron Schur, posted a statement about the ruling on the company's official blog. Says this case highlights the need for stronger online free speech protection in Virginia and across the country. 
businesses that want to bully and intimidate customers who can express displeasure with less than stellar consumer experiences should not be able to obtain their personal information without providing sufficient evidence that they have been wronged, which Hadid failed to do in this case. Um, this seems like an awfully complex solution to a really simple problem to me. Do you have the answer? Do I have my answer? It would seem that if, well, I think Yelp kind of, Yelp is a Yelp is in the business to make money. They, they make money off ads and they are providing a forum. They're not providing a filter. They're providing a forum. And what's happening here is, yeah, they don't filter anyone. There's, I could get, a, I don't like Peter J. Lamont Law Services. I don't like Peter. I think Peter stinks personally. He has nothing to do with his lawyer ability. But I'm going to get on Yelp and I'm going to discredit him. Yep. I never had any business with him, but I'm going to do that. And there's going to be nothing that can stop me. That seems incredibly wrong, but yes. apparently it's okay. Yeah, it is incredibly wrong. And I think that this goes back to something I've talked about in the past, and that's how small business. Uh, just cannot compete. This is not a country about small business. This is not a country that promotes growth of small business. It is a big, big box country. It is a big, um, a big office, big firm country. They don't really care about the small business owner. You know how devastating could something like Yelp be to a small business owner? Significant. Oh, oh. yeah. You know. You could take a small restaurant or a dry cleaner or any, any sort of small business where their reputation is all they have, and you can tarnish it and trash it. Um, I think that – I'm actually surprised by um, Schur's comments. He's the litigation guy right. for Yelp. I think that really his responsibility should be, well, let's make sure that we have a verification process so that the people who are identifying issues with a consumer have to go one or two steps more before just posting a review. Because, you know, I don't know if this guy is wrong or right with respect to the, the you know, competitors posting these complaints, but certainly it's conceivable, it's possible, and what is to stop, you know, a, a business from doing that? I mean, where I live, it's so densely populated that, you know, you're going to have a bagel store and then, a quarter of a mile down the road, you're going to have another bagel store, and then a half a mile, there's another bagel store. And so, you know, if bagel store A wants to compete and wants to be underhanded, why not say, you know, there's cockroaches in, in bagel store B's stuff? Sure. Post it on Yelp. Sure. And the I, sad thing is, is what, what degree are these some of these cases going to be used as precedences going forward, or precedents going forward? I think this is going to be the start. I mean, I think this is the start of... Um, some significant legislation that is going to be passed in the next few years because you cannot have online reviewers destroying the business of a small business owner simply out of uh, spite or anger or even you know competition. And I think that if you, Yelp, are going to make millions of dollars, because I would imagine Yelp makes millions of dollars, um, and you're going to derive the benefit of the advertising dollars that you are raking in on a daily, daily basis, then you have to do something to protect consumers. Not consumers, the, the business owners. I'm all for sure. 
you know, protecting consumers. But at, at what point are you going to just wave, you know, raise your hands and surrender and say, well, it's not us. You know, we, we just provide a forum. Well, you're making millions yeah. of forum and hurting others. What's the difference between – I'm glad you said that. We're, it's not us. We're just providing a forum. Napster. Yeah. Yep. It's not us. We're just providing the platform. We can't control what people do. Yeah. That's exactly but, right. Uh, you know what <laughs> Napster is now. Yes. <laughs> so I'm currently residing in the where are they now file. Mm-hmm. Um, the it, well, and you know it's it's it's, it's interesting now. You, you take this case or take this situation, and I'm sure you've heard of the 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 business in Western Michigan that has decided that their their name is Diesel Tech, and they've decided that on Facebook he's going to write, "I will not fix a gay person's car," and mm-hmm. so. And, and that's the that's the short story, and of course the expected fallout has occurred, uh, threats to the business, burning it down, this, that, and the other thing. Now, if I were an activist and I were smarter than the average bear, I would say here's how we handle this: everybody, instead of defaming this guy and beating him up for being anti-gay, everybody go on Yelp and Angie's List and everything else. And start writing poor reviews. He didn't put the oil cap back on my car. I drove away. My brakes fell off. Right. Start doing that instead of, you know, because you're just going to, you know, now that's going to influence people. To say, oh, well, I don't know if this is an activist or this is a true story. Yep. You know, yeah. you're just, you're drawing, you're drawing fire from the other side by saying, oh, we'll burn his place down. Oh, he's a, he's hateful. Oh, well, now you're going to draw fire from the other side. No, 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 no. There's power and anonymity. Yeah. The shoes. The shows. <laughs> yeah. So, so any um, you know gay activist, you feel free to use my methodology. <laughs> you know, it's just... Here, you go. <laughs> you've got to be able, though, to do something if you're Yelp to stop this. Because, you know... When I was little, when you didn't like somebody, you'd subscribe them to, you know, 20 copies of Playboy. <laughs> but now your pranks and, and the stuff that you can do to somebody behind the veil of anonymity, it's really devastating because it could put businesses out of business for something that they did not do. And how right. is that right? And that's where you see the flip side where you see a lot of these defamation suits that have come to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that part of the problem here is that Virginia was just trying to duck the issue, and they got out on a technicality because they wouldn't enforce oh. out-of-state subpoena. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. <laughs> um, but it certainly highlights the fact that small business does not have the protection that it needs in this country. No. And whether or not something will be done will be, well, to just wait and see. Yep. Um, speaking of getting something done, and this is not small da- business, but I think this is brilliant. I wish I had thought of this. Clothier settles <laughs> a suit with Eagles singer over, I love this tag, Donna Henley and Take It Easy. Add, ABAJournal.com telling us, an outdoor clothing retailer known for its irreverent approach has apologized to Eagles singer Don Henley and made a charitable, charitable donation to resolve a California lawsuit over its use of his name for an upscale T-shirt. An advertisement featuring the slogan, Don A. Henley and Take It Easy, <laughs> riffing on the title of an early hit by the band, was inappropriate, says Duluth Trading Company on its website. 
for that. We are deeply regretful, and we apologize, not just to Mr. Henley, but to anyone else who took offense. Why would you take offense? Uh, we have learned a valuable lesson, and thank Mr. Henley for helping us appreciate lawsuit, the importance that he and others, artists, place in their publicity rights. Henley has trademarked his name and routinely refuses to allow his persona or music to be used for commercial purposes, reports the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Now, it is not known how much Dutch trading company donated to the Walden Woods Project to settle the suit. The settlement also includes an agreement or an agreed permanent injunction that bars the company from using Henley's name, the Hollywood reporter is reporting. (laughs) I think that's brilliant. But it wasn't you, Don Henley. It was a different Don Henley that we were talking about. Yes. How how does this honestly, I think this is brilliant and I think they should be able to use it. I think it's a load of crap. You know what, Don Henley is one of those guys that has you know, you, you look back to the nineteen seventies and the Eagles and he's got the long hair and the beard, you know, and, and, and you're thinking, Oh, this is just a hippie, right? This guy is sure. so smart and he's always been one to protect his image and likeness and he this isn't the first time that he's filed a lawsuit. Oh and this guy Oh, I didn't know that. Oh no, no. He knows his way around. I remember uh years ago um, all like a list of the lawsuits that he's filed. He's kind of like, um, like uh, Kiss. Gene, Gene Simmons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't put anything by him because he's out there and he wants to corner the market, which he has on on Kiss memorabilia and merchandise. So if you're out oh, there yeah. and you take advantage of Kiss, you're going to get sued. Same thing with Don Henley. I think that Don Henley um, is just a smart guy. I think that, you know, he does take it too far sometimes. But, you know, what this does highlight is one thing that I I liked, the fact that Don Henley didn't ask for money for himself. Yeah, that that I will give him credit for. Yeah, I mean, a a settlement that directs the settlement funds to the Walden Woods Project, that's a pretty creative way to resolve something and to take – Something where you very easily could have said, oh, my God, Don, do you really need more money? I mean, you really don't. I, uh, I wish you had taken it a step further and actually participated in an ad with this tag and in a portion of the sales of the Henleys went to his project as yeah. well. Yeah. Take I mean, it he, tongue in cheek for crying out loud. Yeah. I mean, he could have worked with this company and they could have uh, done something where Exactly. I mean, let the company cover the cost of manufacturing the shirt, but then send all the proceeds to Walden Woods. There could have been even more creativity coming out of this. But I think that um, I think he's just one of those guys. And I I like him. I like his music. I like him. I think he's so protective of uh, his name and reputation that sometimes it can just go a little too far. You know, I I, I literally don't know how you can can trademark a, a personal name. Uh, you know, it gets to the point where you, you can because of the branding associated with it, you know, like Madonna. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it just, you become a persona more than you do a person. And I think that that's, once you reach that level, listen, nobody's going to be trademarking my name. Um, but I think that when you get to that level of Don Henley, yeah, you can absolutely do it and protect it. And um, I don't know. Sometimes I do think do that. You- it goes too far, but I guess there's a part of me that says, well, I mean, would you want somebody to make money off of your name? It's not fair. I, I don't know. Do you remember the ads? Was it, 
and I can't remember. Was it was it a bunch of guys named Ronald McDonald for yes. Wendy's or for Burger King? Yeah. How how uh, is this different? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> I love that commercial. I thought that commercial yeah. was so clever. I think that the difference is, you know, they were Ronald McDonald. Every single one of them, really, they were Ronald McDonald. And so but, I think that... You were donning a Henley. You were taking it easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I fail to see the difference. And that's why I'm not as smart as most lawyers or judges <laughs> or the people at Duluth Trading Company. <laughs> yeah. It has nothing to do with smarts. I think it's just, you know, <laughs> I, I think that um, people take themselves too seriously sometimes. But, you know, that the bottom line is capitalism. And I think that capitalism can sort of curtail creativity and capital capitalism can make you I, I look I want to get paid I want to be able to live but I just don't see the need to step on everybody in the process and I'm not saying that he did I mean he's you know obviously justified to protect his legally filed trademark but I think that the world would just in general be so much better off if people were not so poisoned by the idea of capitalism and and stepping over other people, but that's there, never. There are at least, no, 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 and there are at least eighty people named Donald Henley, according to Intellius.com. So I, I guess if you create your own shirt <laughs> and you say I am Don Henley, do you have I, do you have a lawsuit waiting for you? Exactly. Yeah, named it after myself. I didn't name it after you. Right. <laughs> what if you were taking it easy? Maybe I, I must have taken it easy. That's right. Yeah. Take it anyway and get it as the attitude goes. So I, I think, um, you know, it is what it is. And I, I, I guess that's why some people have so much money and other people don't, because they're willing yeah. to go that extra step. But this goes to show you that uh, if, you're, if you're inventing something, if you're coming up with something, Never hurts to get a trademark or a copyright lawyer, a patent lawyer involved. No, I mean if you're going to go and and look at the legal element of this, then sure he did the right thing to protect himself because he filed a trademark, he was able to enforce it, and uh, so from a legal standpoint, yeah, he did the right thing. From you know a worldwide standpoint, I don't know. But I, I do think that the settlement was creative and 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 at least money yeah. was diverted to an organization as opposed to his pocket. So that that's a good thing. Sure. Give 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 that and nothing less and nothing less of that. Yes, exactly. All right, <laughs> that's do it for today. Um, a lot of good stories today. We got a lot of good discussion about some of this stuff. If you know, you guys out, once you download, if you're not listening live, once you download this uh, podcast on iTunes, if if you want to add to the discussion, you know, we encourage you to post your comments. I mean, you've, we've got it here live on YouTube. You can watch it later on YouTube. You can download it from iTunes. Um, post your comments. Let us know what you think. We like to hear your feedback about some of our thoughts and analysis of some of these stories. That's what makes this fun and interesting. So make sure you do that. Um, don't forget also to check out utlradio.com. It's been updated, and there's all sorts of cool new things on it, including the Ask Your Question tab and the link to download the free app on iTunes. Also, want to thank today's sponsor, 
iScribed audio transcription service. Um, again, it's certainly something that I think everyone should check out, whether you're in the medical field or um, w- whether you just want some things typed. We're talking 89 cents a minute, and you're talking about a, a dual-step verification process to make sure that what you have dictated comes back to you accurately. So check them out. It's iscribed.com. There's a link below uh, on the show notes where you can check them out. And uh, speaking about the medical profession for a minute, I also want to remind everybody to, uh, if you are in in need of medical supplies, whether you are a doctor, whether you're a a company or organization that needs medical supplies of any sort, um, if you are a therapy center, uh, a physical therapist, and you don't want to pay the exorbitant fees that you have to pay for medical supplies by going through traditional vendors where you've got middlemen, to head over to mdsupplies.com, that's mdsupplies.com, and see how they can help you save up to 50% on your medical needs and your medical supply purchases. So check that out, uh, mdsupplies.com and iscribed.com for audio transcription. Thank you both. That's going to do it for today. I will be back tomorrow with the Business and Legal Q&A Live. Um, We have some questions all set for tomorrow. I'll post them later so you know what we're going to be discussing. In the meantime, keep your questions coming because it's, uh, it's the only way that the show continues. No questions? I've got nothing to talk about, if you believe that. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't believe it either. I've been, accused of, I've been accused of listening to myself talk. Yep, yep. I get it from my wife all the time. When I come home at night, she says, you know, I've been with the kids all day. I don't want to hear you talk, and I find it so hard, you know? <laughs> I'm going to be calling you tonight when I get home because, you know, I'm going to need to... you got my number anytime. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for participating. Thanks for um, downloading and then sticking around and, and keeping up with us. We definitely appreciate it. I will be back tomorrow. Bob and I will be back next Monday with another edition of um, Week in Review. We'll see what kind of crazy stories we can dig up this week. All right. Thanks to everybody. Make sure you have a good day. Enjoy the nice weather. Although it's, is it raining by you, Bob? It's raining over here. It, it's, it, it, it rained last night. I'm sure it's going to rain off and on today. So I made sure I got my grass cut before it rained yesterday. So Very nice. Well, enjoy the spring because we've had a hard winter and glad that that's over. So until Think tomorrow. Take it easy. Take it easy. <laughs>